You're listening to Geek Cred, episode 50, featuring Lizanne Pajot and James Swirsky of Indie Game the Movie. Hello, Internet. I'm Steve Rickyberg, and welcome to Geek Cred, the podcast that delivers in-depth, behind-the-scenes interviews about everything geek. On this episode, I am pleased to introduce Lizanne Pajot and James Swarsky, producers of the award-winning documentary Indie Game, the movie. Welcome to Geek Cred. Hi. Oh, thanks for having us. Yeah. So before we dig into the film itself, tell me a little bit about yourselves, your backgrounds, and how you two came to collaborate. Uh, well, I took journalism right out of high school and ended up getting a job at uh, CBC here in Canada, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, working in television for a few years. I worked on uh, the news, the national news and documentaries and lifestyle television. And, you know, sometime within that, I met James on a short film. Uh, He had produced a couple before that and they needed some help. And that's how we met. And Mm -hmm. that was about eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so I, we together, James and I made a short film and then I had an opportunity to make some lifestyle television, made a show called Digital Dad and uh, a gardening show. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, that's how we, we really started working together. But James had been, you'd been doing like commercial work for yeah. a while. Yeah, I kind of uh, been doing like short films for a long, long time since like high school and university and all that. And uh yeah, so I, I took filmmaking not – I, I kind of took filmmaking as a half major in university uh, and then tried – moved out to Vancouver for a little bit and actually was a games tester there for a while. Mm. Uh, but then I basically stumbled into doing commercial work by having someone offer me money to videotape their graduation, their high school graduation. <laughs> wow. And it was like this lightning bolt, this, oh, my God, people, I can make money with my camera and doing things. So that kind of led to another graduation, which led to a wedding, which eventually led to a commercial. Uh, and then over the course of nearly a decade, kind of building that up into television shows and actual you know, larger budget commercial corporate stuff. But then all through that, and now Lisa and I had been working on commercial stuff for about six, seven years now. Yeah. Yeah. All through that, we've kind of I always- I quit CBC eventually. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we joined up. And then all through that, uh, we've always kind of wanted to do something bigger, something independent and something that was, you know, a little more creative. And, um, you know, it was that project. You always kind of have that project mm. while you're working on yeah. your day job. That, that and, project, capital P. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And you get in the movie was that project. We didn't know it at the time. We didn't know it until three years ago. But the idea of doing something like that is kind of what always kind of kept us going while we were still doing the commercial stuff. Right. So briefly, for those that aren't familiar with the film, what is Indie Game the Movie and what is it all about? Yeah, Indie Game the Movie is a feature documentary about making video games. So it follows the development process, but really the emotional process of making a video game, specifically indie games. These are games that are made by, you know, small teams, generally one or two people that are, you know, conceiving a vision of a video game and and working really hard on it, doing the programming, the design and the art, and then pushing it out to the world. And right now, it's kind of exciting. We're at a time where digital distribution just makes it more and more accessible to get your work out there, mm-hmm. whether it be games or movies. And so um, that's what the film's about. The film's about these people that make video games and then release it to the world. And really to us, the film is kind of about the creative journey of any 
digital creator. It's about those ups and downs. It's about that self-doubt and, you know, those feelings you have about releasing your personal vision to the world. And in this sort of era of internet culture and comment culture, and it's sort of a study of that. So yeah, we follow the games, uh, Super Meat Boy, Braid and Fez, and they all are out now. And yeah, we did that over the past two years. Now, James, you touched on this, mentioning that you worked as a games tester, but were any of you gamers before you started making the film? Yeah, yeah. I I definitely was, like, I grew up as kind of like a Nintendo Commodore 64 Sega Genesis kid, and, like, games defined me, defined my life up until probably around, like, 16 or 17, and then, for some reason, it just kind of drifted away a little bit, but was always there, and it wasn't until I became a games tester that... um, the magic of games really got stomped out of me mm-hmm. for a while. And actually, yeah. uh, after the process of being a games tester, I didn't touch games for another eight years. Uh, and it wasn't until actually discovering independent games that that magic that I kind of felt as a kid and growing up kind of got reintroduced. And that kind of got me back into games. So I had, you know, like a nice working knowledge, but I have like this dead space of 2000 to 2007 where I just, uh, I wasn't really playing games. Uh, and indie games brought me back. But Lizanne's a, a little bit different. Yeah, I wasn't a big gamer before this project at all. And when we sort of discovered indie games, I kind of felt like it was a neat opportunity to get into games. I don't know, like there's there's a sort of time in gaming where you needed a certain amount of dexterity to play games. And I just missed that whole mm. time. And it just never felt accessible to me and never felt like something that was for me. And then really discovering indie games, that's how I got into playing games. And the way we found them is sort of a weird way. We were doing like a commercial work here in Canada and we were commissioned to do a series of documentaries on people in new media, all different mm. sort of sorts of people. And one of the the subjects of one of our films was about a developer named Alec Kaloka based here in Winnipeg, where we're from. And he made a game called Aquaria with his partner, Derek Yu, that went on to win the Seamus McNally Award, the sort of the big award in the indie game space at the Independent Games Festival. Mm-hmm. And we made this story about him. And, you know, we thought initially it would be this cool story just about, you know, this two guys made this game that, you know, is played all around the world and right. people love it. But really what was interesting in getting to know Alec was that his game morphed into this really personal thing, this personal message about, you know, his sort of process and the emotions that he was going through as he was making it. And that idea of games being personal was something new to us. It's not a new idea to everybody. Like this was about two and a half years ago that um, we, you know, did this piece with him. And, you know, people have been talking about games being personal for a while, but it was just, it happened to be new to us. And that sort of intrigued us. And we thought, you know, maybe there's something more, maybe there are more people that are doing stuff like Alec. And that's how we went. We ended up going down to the game developers conference and meeting more and more uh, independent developers who had very similar stories about making very personal works. And that's sort of how this all sort of happened is, is just from, you know, from going there and meeting people and really discovering games again. Right. Yeah. I mean, you see these triple A games with, you know, sometimes a hundred million dollar budgets now, and they're so polished, they're so perfect. They don't really have that that personal touch to them that you see in these indie games because they're flawed just like their developers. Yeah, like you could tell when you're playing an independent game, like it it feels handcrafted. And that's not to say that it feels sloppy or not polished because they're not, they're very, very well done. But you could tell that someone made this. There's an authenticity, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And it was kind of like this aha moment in discovering independent games because they felt 
I don't know. To me, they felt a lot like when I was playing games on my Commodore 64 and you'd kind of get like a bucket full of discs and you put in the floppies. And I, I didn't actually know this at the time when I was a kid, uh, but all my Commodore 64 games were pirated. Uh, <laughs> were just, they were just copies because they never came with instruction manuals, never came with boxes. They came from like some guy that they, your mom knew. Yeah, my mom knew a guy named Saul at school. Uh, he was the computer teacher and he just kind of gave everybody discs. And so, like, there was this wonderful magic every time you'd get, like, these new discs and you'd pop them in there and you'd have to figure that game out. And that element was kind of reintroduced when I found independent games again. You know, like, you play, you play something like, you know, Sword and Sorcery. That game is just beautiful and you have to kind of figure out, you know, its, its dance. You know, you kind of have to figure out exactly kind of where it wants to lead you and how it wants to lead you there. And um, it was just that process uh, of discovering games like that, again, that uh, just was so intriguing. And then what made it great as a documentary uh, subject was when you take one step back and you look at the people just, uh, creating these things, they just have these wonderful personal stories of passion and sacrifice and kind of putting everything they have into this wonderfully handcrafted thing mm -hmm. and then releasing it out into the world. And now, since we're in this crazy age of digital distribution, you also have this other layer of like these guys making these really personal works and putting it out there. And if it's the right game at the right time and it strikes the right chords, it can completely change their lives. Mm. You know, like it, they can release a game one day and then, you know, be kind of set for the next few years, if right. not for life. And, and that's, that's definitely an exception. Uh, like not all indie games obviously happen that way, but that story is just really, really interesting and really intriguing. Mm -hmm. And these type of games that would never be made under under the helm of a major studio. Oh, God, no. Yeah. Can you imagine pitching like Super Meat Boy to a AAA studio? Yeah. You know, boy with no skin rescuing his girlfriend made of Band-Aids from a doctor fetus uh, in a jar. <laughs> like it's yeah, it's like two. that game has to come from Edmund and Tommy. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. no other way that game exists. It has to come from them. So what was your level of knowledge about the game development process before you started making the film? I think we had an idea of what was involved, uh, like the different sort of aspects, but not, you know, like we weren't developers ourselves. So we sort of went in with like big eyes and just tried to learn as much as we could as we did it. Yeah. Like, I think we had like a working knowledge to know the questions to ask, but not having a complete knowledge was actually, I think, this really kind of uh, fantastic asset mm. because in order for the movie to make sense, we had to make sure we were getting answers that made sense to us. You know, so as long as we were learning and it was making sense to us, there was a good chance, given our, you know, background, that we weren't complete insiders in, in gaming, that it would then kind of be relatable to people that perhaps weren't hardcore gamers or, you know, had an inside view of, of game development and game design. I think it worked to make it a little more relatable. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah, I think that's what really appeal to me at least about the film is that it's all very personal. I mean, it's not too inside about games, so it's about games, but it's really about the story and the journey of these people, these characters and their creative process. I mean, it's not just about games. It's really about kind of the whole journey of being a creative person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like we, we think that was kind of like our, our dream to kind of make something that could kind of appeal not only to, to gamers, but people outside of it. And like we kind of think that this movie, you could take every instance of video game and replace it with film or music or novel or whatever. And it would still kind of in the broad strokes hold up because those kind of journeys are all all the same. Like they all kind of have that same tent poles of passion and sacrifice and self-doubt 
and you know just all question marks that you know drive you nuts and uh, yeah yeah i mean you kind of already brought me to my next question is there's some really amazing parallels here when i was watching the film between you and the subject you're covering and and the themes covered such as you know having a big dream but having this fear of failure, themes that didn't just apply to the game developers themselves, but also had to apply to you as indie filmmakers. So tell me about your own journey in making the film. Yeah, so like we, our, our journey is a bit different, like from kind of other filmmakers, I think. And it, it kind of all started with a Kickstarter. We did a Kickstarter uh, two years ago. And when Kickstarter wasn't as big as it, as it is today, and we before put, Tim Schafer. Before right, yeah, Tim no, Schafer. I, was, I was thinking the same thing because you think Kickstarter, <laughs> you know, Kickstarter is a big deal now. But back then, most people didn't even know what Kickstarter was. And you certainly hadn't seen these huge successes like you have now. Oh, no, no. And it's funny to say back then because it's only two years ago. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we had come up with this sort of idea and, you know, we did some research and we reached out to people and we shot a test piece, which was a, um, a story that Edmund ended up telling about making um, his game Ether. And we put that out there on the Internet through Kickstarter in May 2010. And we weren't exactly sure what was going to happen. We were asking for $15,000, which wasn't a lot to make this movie. But that's really what we thought we needed to just get in the car and drive around North America to do it. Mm-hmm. And we got an amazing amount of support, support that really changed our lives. We made our goal in two days. And that's kind of what sort of gave us the initial confidence to move forward. Mm. If we hadn't had that big push and, you know, all those people see something in, yeah. in our work and see something in the idea, I'm not sure if we would have pursued it. It was that that really helped us forward. Looking back, it's only like 400 people that pledged. And you think 400 people, not a lot of people, but to us in the moment, two people from Winnipeg, that was a huge well, and deal. And 400 people who are willing to put their money where their mouth is, not just saying, oh, I'd like to see this movie. I will I will pay. I will give you my money to see this movie before exactly. you, you shot anything. That doesn't exist. Yeah. Yes. You know. For people that have never made movies before. So that was something that really influenced, you know, everything we did and how we we made the film. Like we were really discovering the film as we shot it. We interviewed lots of developers, including the guys that ended up being the main focus. And they ended up being the main focus because they just were working towards these goals. And we were able to be there in the moment with them and, and capture that journey in, in an intimate way. And that's how that sort of happened. They're also, you know, extremely generous, charismatic people too. And so we we went through this journey of filming and editing and never really sure how people would react to our work. Mm. We thought it was good, but you don't really know whether it's good or not. No. Basically, like, actually, when we premiered the film, prior to that, 26 people had seen it. Mm. And then we were, we were finally premiering, uh, and we were showing it to, like, a room full of, like, 350 people. And like, Sundance. Yeah, it's Sundance. It was, it was just kind of crazy. Yeah, it was like our Xbox Live debut moment. You know, like we had no idea how this was going to go. And, you know, like all signs had pointed positively up until that point. Like the movie was there, so that was a good sign. But, yeah, you just have no idea. But, um, yeah, it's been strange. Like the process of making this film feels a lot like the process of the guys in the movie. Mm -hmm. Like here we are, we're two people using very accessible technology to kind of give up our day jobs and spend two, two and a half years uh, working on this film and kind of pouring everything we have into it. And then we're going to release it to the world through digital distribution and see what the world thinks. And the movie is about one or two people pouring everything they have. Using right, exactly. And digital distribution. So, 
it got to the point actually where we would actually quote the film to one another in order to like, communicate how we felt. Hmm. And it just happened naturally. And the scary thing is it was really effective as a communication <laughs> tool. It's very, very funny. But um, yeah, it, it feels like even though it's like Edmund, Tommy, Phil's and John's story, it, it feels a lot like our story. And I think that's kind of why it's resonating with a lot of people. It hmm. feels a lot like their story too. Right. You know, whether or not you're in film or whether or not you're in video games. It's just that universal story of making something. Yeah, as long as you're a creative person, I think you can really identify with the story you're telling in this film. Yeah, 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 we hope so. And that had to be really rewarding. Like you mentioned the premiere at Sundance and such, just getting such critical acclaim for the film. Yeah, it was insane. It was like, you, you never write down in your you know production plan premiere at Sundance. Or you're yeah. like, that's <laughs> never something that... It's always that quiet little goal in the back of your mind that you don't even speak to yourself because you just think it's kind of ridiculous and kind of crazy. And um, then for it to actually kind of come into existence, it just feels like this weird, surreal, out-of-body experience because Sundance was this thing that we read about. You know, right. we, we see it in the magazines. <laughs> and, you know, that's where our heroes go and that's where our heroes are, are kind of made. And then to kind of be there and be in that conversation – was just um, was just insane. It just made no sense and was like in really, really rewarding. Right. So going back, you kind of touched on this, but how did you decide what games you were going to cover in the documentary? I mean, because there's just so many developers to focus on. There's so many games out there. Yeah, like it, it kind of happened kind of organically. We, you know, did that small piece on Alec and Alec actually introduced us. We said, oh, we want to, we think we want to make a film about this. And he's like, you know, you should really talk to my friend Tommy in North Carolina. They had done a talk at the Game Developers Conference together. And he's like, he has a great story. And so we started talking to him and through him, we met Edmund. And then we just started, you know, two years ago, just sort of looking online and looking what people were doing. And we interviewed about, uh, about 20 developers. We didn't follow everybody like we followed everybody in the film in mm -hmm. such an intimate way, but we we interviewed a lot. And these guys happened to be making games and like developing games and possibly releasing. We weren't sure when Phil would release Fez, and he has, but whether that would happen within our timeline. But they were on this sort of trajectory that we could we could sort of follow and be part of. And that's sort of how that kind of happened. And we really looked at the people first the people and their story and their connection to their games over the games. Like we talked to lots of different developers with lots of different styles of games, you know, not only platformers, not only 2D, but it just so happened that these guys had stories that connected well together. And they told through each of their stories, the making of Braid and Super Meat Boy and Fez kind of looks at the whole picture, you know, making a game, releasing a game and, and what happens after. And that's sort of how it worked for us the best. Plus, they were super charismatic to boot. And, you know, and they were <laughs> generous really and they let us hang around. Yeah. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I think you couldn't have written more complex and flawed and just interesting characters than these real people. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're extremely interesting. Like all of them. Like I could listen to them talk, you know, kind of unedited, uncut. Yeah, all of them. Yeah. I just think the timing for this film also is really interesting because... During production of the film, there's kind of been a real coming out party, if you will, for indie games with uh, games like Minecraft. And of course, you have the Humble Bundle, things that have kind of really raised the bar and raised the profile of what indie games are and, and what they can be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it, it seems like it was, you know, really, really starting to happen. Like it seemed like something special was happening in around like 2007, 2008. 
and then it, it's and just then gotten just bigger sort of, and bigger. Yeah, we just sort of picked up, you know, on it in 2010. And yeah, these things like I remember the first Humble Bundle. I remember when that happened and it sort of changed. Way back then. Way back then. <laughs> and it's so funny because it's like all this stuff we talk about like history, but it's not that long. But when everybody lives online and you see, you know, you know, the blogs talking about certain things over and over, you think that lots of time has passed. But, in, you know, in essence, it really hasn't. No, yeah. no. Everything no. seems so much longer in Internet years. Yes. <laughs> Jamie calls them dog years. And we, we kind of experienced the same thing making this film. It took us um, 18 months from like filming, doing our first Kickstarter and then debuting at Sundance, which is actually, you know, that's a pretty short amount of time for a film. Like 18 mm-hmm. months, that's not, that's not a lot, especially, especially for, a for a documentary. Made by yeah. two people. Yeah, but online, it completely, like it felt like it's been around forever and, and people were saying as much and I don't blame them because I do the same thing with stuff I'm following online. But yeah, there's this weird little time warp that happens when you're, following something online or when something comes up online and then it goes away, it just feels like everything just feels longer online. Mm-hmm. So you kind of touched on this before, but tell me about the decision to bypass the kind of traditional distribution channels and release the film online, DRM free direct to your audience. Yeah. Like we, so a lot of decisions that we made in terms of distributing it are because we had that sort of supporter base, those people that believed in us early on. And mm-hmm. we had done two Kickstarters and we, people were supporting the film through pre-orders throughout the process. And um, we just felt like we needed to get the film out there. We felt that people had been hearing about it and we just had this sort of pressure that we felt like we had to get it out as fast as we could. And you know, we went to Sundance and we, there was people that were very interested in the film and, and wanted mm, to buy the film. I'd imagine. And we just sort of felt like we really needed to get it out worldwide on like a single day. And so we were really lucky that we were able to get, you know, partners that were cool with it. Like we we're on iTunes, which is insane. That's like, you know, we were in like the top 14 of iTunes for a week, mm-hmm. which is crazy. We were beside like Mark, Mark Wahlberg and Catherine Hegel. Like, <laughs> That's a, a really amazing platform to put the film. And we were also able to get onto Steam. Steam is a big games platform. We're the first feature film on it. That's crazy. And then, you know, we're on our website as well in DRM free, mainly because we thought, how do we like to consume movies and media? When we hear about something, we want to be able to get it, you know, right away and get it in the format that we like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to be able to watch it the way we like. And some people like to watch on their computer and some people like to, you know, put it, you know, through their Apple TV or put it on their different devices. And so we just tried to give people as many options and also have it available to, you know, as many people around the world as possible. Cause we would find out through, you know, these Kickstarter campaigns and through the pre-orders that people, a large part of the, the people that supported the film weren't in North America. They were, mm. they're all over the world, which is crazy. And we just wanted it to be accessible for them. Yeah. A, like a large part of it had to do with, you know, thinking like a fan, thinking like mm. our audience members, mm-hmm. if we were waiting for this movie, how would we want this movie to roll out? And luckily prior to us coming out, there's been some really neat experiments in media distribution, like the Louis C.K. thing, uh, which mm, was right. like this wonderful prototype and example of you know how you can do a DRM free and you know relatively simple from your own site. Like we're not Louis C.K. No. At, at all, <laughs> but um, it was this 
kind of nice testament to the power of DRM free and in trusting your audience. And we, we, we had been seeing stuff like this, like with the humble bundle and with, you know, the amazing stuff that they've done with Minecraft just through their own website. Indie games were kind of starting this kind of even before Louis CK went and did his DRM free version. And so we just thought, you know, we'll, we'll try it this way and, and we'll see. And hopefully it'll it'll work out and we'll make back the past two years of time. And, hopefully. And you know, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just this learning experience that, you know, made yes. us cry and sweat a lot. Well, in that case, I'm pretty glad it was successful. <laughs> <laughs> so you've probably gotten this question a lot, but why did you use that iconic image of the Super Nintendo controller? <laughs> yeah. It's very weird. Like, yeah, it's a funny story. Um, basically. When we were thinking about doing this movie, we were going to a breakfast meeting and we were walking down a back alley here in Winnipeg. And we were walking down the back alley and we looked up and it was a Super Nintendo controller just wow. kind of feeling artfully. You right know. after we were that's, like just that's talking about quite yeah, the message gonna, right there. <laughs> yeah, we're going to make a movie about video games. Yeah. Should we do it? Should we do it? And then we look up and there's a Super Nintendo controller hanging. And yeah, and it was just like this, this sign that, okay, well, I guess we're doing it. And um, so, you don't often see Super Nintendo controllers hanging from right. Yeah, often, not, not uh, something you see every day, at least not around where I live. And it, and it was <laughs> hanging just so perfectly, like it was fully extended. Too. And so I came back later that day and I just kind of filmed like 10 minutes of B-roll of it, uh, not knowing what we were going to do with it and just kind of thinking that, well, okay, if we ever need some kind of weird shot of a Super Nintendo controller, we got it. And so fast forward like three months and we're now prepping ourselves for the Kickstarter release. And we had cut this piece uh, with Edmund McMillan talking about his game Ether. And we needed something to put as a preface. We had like three blocks of text that kind of set up not only the Ether piece, but the idea of the movie. And so we just needed some kind of, I just wanted to put some B-roll underneath it. Mm -hmm. And the Super Nintendo controller just seemed to be like a, a perfect thing. And so I used that as kind of like the background for this little text intro. And basically it ended up that the Vimeo thumbnail was the, the image of the controller with the title. <laughs> in the game that we and so wow. we thought, okay, well, that's wow. cool. You know, that's fine. It's just a temporary thing. We'll use it. Even the, the, the title, the title in the game, the movie wow. was a working title. Huh. And uh, so then what happened was people responded in a very real way to the Kickstarter and the idea of the movie. And then before we knew it, this, icon of this hanging Nintendo Super Nintendo controller ended up being like when you did a Google image search, all you would see was this controller. Right. And we kind of ended up kind of running with it and uh, kind of embracing it because not only did it kind of look kind of neat and cool, but then inserting it in the movie and then kind of embracing its image, it, you could kind of do like some retroactive, you know, uh, film kind of uh, theory about, theory yeah. about, like I, about we leave it it's kind of open and and you know we don't like to explain it we just like to have people look at it and see it in the context of the movie and, and take what they can from that imagery because to us it was a neat sort of ad and it right. has this sort of mystery about it yeah i find that so interesting you could come up with so many artistic explanations and some sort of commentary you're trying to make but in the end it was really just kind of a, a really neat really fortunate accident <laughs> yeah yeah and that's, like i i think that's a lot of what documentary filmmaking is mm. you know you kind of you collect all these things and then you put them together trying to create meaning of these disparate things and i think that's kind of an example of it it's 
it's something we collected and then used and then kind of put meaning towards. It's not like we never had this idea of, oh, hey, you know what would be great? We should <laughs> we should string up a Super Nintendo controller because <laughs> that's the perfect image to open the movie. Exactly. Yeah. It, and it's just kind of this thing that kind of organically happened mm-hmm. and we just kind of uh, embraced it. So what were some of the unique challenges you faced during production and making this film? Because as much as you guys have really been successful with this, making a film and making a documentary is hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I think sort of the main challenge we had was that we did it as two people. You know, mm. the whole making of the film, except for the wonderful music by Jim Guthrie, was done by us and some audio mixing. We had some help with a uh, little help with that. So we did everything. We shot it. We directed it. We lit it when we lit when we did lighting not many so, times so you were the whole crew basically the two yeah of you. and then sometimes it was like just one of us so in a certain portion of the movie it's following the re- release of super meat boy and i was in north carolina with tommy the programmer of super meat boy and uh james was in santa cruz with edmund and danielle filming in tandem at the same time over the same week and so you, you know you're just alone and you're just you know hoping that you record everything <laughs> and that you don't screw yeah, up. You don't and, want to miss that big moment. Yeah. You know, so that, I think that was a challenging part of it. And I, and I also just think it, it has been a bit challenging just being two people running the whole show and, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of interest in the film, which is incredible. And a lot of people, you know, want to do things and there's neat opportunities and, and all that great stuff. It's just, we're only two people and we only have a certain amount of time. Like we planned a tour across the States ourselves. We ended up having to hire someone to help us, but three people planning a tour in the span of like a three weeks. It's yes. just the, you know, volume of stuff and the pressure. That's the hardest yeah. part, but I, you know, it's great, but it, it's hard. It's like the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I think we were just surprised at how like engrossing it became, like just how much it takes over your life. Hmm. We knew that it would, like we knew that it required dedication and commitment, but, um, it just every waking hour has been indie game the movie for like two years now. And it's it's kind of this thing that kind of happened incrementally. Like we were two people making a movie and kind of working at it. Then as the movie became bigger, things were moving so fast that we never had the opportunity or the time to bring on more people in order to get them up to speed. Mm-hmm. So you just kind of take on more and more responsibility and every little added item that gets kind of like thrown on the pile or thrown on your back makes sense for you to do it at the time. You know, it's just easier if I do it and then you just do it. And, and you're then just hoping you don't drown. It. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's, it's yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. It, hmm. And I think we were kind of surprised at how big the movie got and then how much work it was. So if you two were to choose to go into development and make a game yourself, what would it be? What genre would you go into? Oh, uh, I don't know. Like, there's so many talented people out there that are so much better. What's exciting right now is anybody to make a game and, and to get into it. So I know that there's technology like. You're not going to give them an answer, are you? No. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I got one. Uh, I would do point and click adventure. Mm. I absolutely loved um, any game that ended with quest to it. <laughs> quest, yes, King, yes. Please uh, quest, not as much. Maniac Mansion, all that stuff. And I loved it. That was actually one of my introductions to, well, Commodore 64 is my introduction, but the thing that really got me into PC gaming. Me too, uh, me too. That. Yeah, and, I, and it kind of makes sense because it plays into the structure of a narrative movie and, and kind of you know creating that world and creating that cast and creating those dialogue trees. So yeah, that would probably be where I 
would feel most comfortable and hopefully most effective, but I still can't, I'm not talented enough to do it. <laughs> at all. Neither am I, but I, I do think it's kind of interesting how things have kind of come full circle. Cause you look at some of those classic games, especially the adventure games, and they're really just made by, you know, a couple of people instead of these big teams like we have now, it's kind of really how indie gaming has kind of gone back to gaming's roots, I guess. Yeah, I, I think so. Like, I think, like a lot of people are, are quick to say it's nostalgia, but I'm not too sure if that's it. Like I think with independent games, you have people that are kind of empowered to make games uh, for markets that larger companies kind of look over or would never give the chance for them to kind of like even exist. And so when you have like things like Kickstarter and all these like wonderful empowering distribution tools, you can take a chance on making a game for 5,000 people or 10,000 people or even 1,000 people, you know, and you kind of scale accordingly to that. And so like all these wonderful little little niches, which when you're talking on the internet, a niche is always big, you know, like the small internet niches are really right. enough to support like a small studio or small independent people. It's just this wonderful thing that's happening. And uh, it's just such an interesting time to be a creator, mm -hmm. not only for games, but also, you know, movies, music, everything, like the f ability to find your audience. Right. You know, it, it's just uh, it's just kind of amazing. Yeah, this, this is a great time to be a creative person. Yeah, yeah. This movie could not have been made five years ago, not mm -hmm. only because mm -hmm. the subject of independent games, well, they, independent games were definitely around, but the way we made it with the tools that we made it and how we made it and how we got it out to people it would be a completely different movie and it wouldn't exist like this. Right. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to get funding the way you did or you wouldn't be able to release it the way you did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, not, not at all. Like if we, we found our audience on day one and grew it from there. You know, like we got uh, 48 hours of Kickstarter funding provided to 400 people that really, really believed in the movie. And then from there, we just kind of grew it like one person at a time, like email through Twitter, through every video we put out. And by the time we got to releasing the film, like uh, a year and a half later or two years later, uh, we were starting hitting the ground running in a way that you couldn't have done <laughs> at right. all. Like five years ago, it just, you know, it just wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned how you really kind of lived and breathed Indie Game the Movie for the better part of two years. So what's your next project? Do you two have anything coming up that you can talk about? Ooh. Yeah. So our next thing after uh, we're, we're working on a special edition for the film, we shot over 300 hours with uh, the developers in the film, but other developers too. So we're going to recut that stuff into this other thing, this other work. And we're actually going to shoot a few more things, including epilogues with the developers that were in the film as well. So that's sort of like a, a working project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then we have uh, official project number two, which we're working on right now. We actually can't like announce anything because we still have yet to like pin it down. Mm -hmm. But we're hoping to actually start shooting. I don't know, optimistically January, but I'm not too sure about that. But we'll we'll see. Yeah, and then there's yeah, just interesting things happening with the movie. And yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's mostly like uh, releasing our child and then making sure it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we are just about out of time. So where can people go to find more information about the film and most importantly, watch it for themselves? Yeah, uh, yes. yeah you can go to IndieGameTheMovie.com. You can buy it there, um, download it or stream it. It's in 15 languages, which is crazy. Wow. Um, we have to thank all the volunteer uh, subtitlers that helped us. And uh, Or if you don't want to download it from a site, you, you can watch it on iTunes or Steam. All right. Well, thank you for talking with me. You two have definitely got some geek cred. 
Well, that's just about going to do it for this episode. But if you've got any questions, comments, suggestions, or feedback, make your voice heard. Call 818-925-4335 or email geekcred at geekcred.net. The show notes, along with much more information, including Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, chat, it's all over at geekcred.net slash 50. I've been Steve Rickyberg, and that's going to do it for me. So until next time, geek on. Geek on.